Sorry about that. There we go. Now my mic is close enough that you can hear me. All right. I'm Pastor Robert. We're going to continue our look at the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're in the final chapters now. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of 16. So we're going to knock this sermon out. What's the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? Like, let's get the easy stuff out of the way, right? Like, I know me being your pastor might be the best thing that's ever happened. So you don't get to say that one. But really, like, what's the most impactful thing that's ever happened? Like, I became a pastor when my first pastor said, Robert, you should think about becoming a pastor. And that was the most impactful conversation that I've ever had. It changed the course of my life. I would not be here if Craig Marshall had not told me that. Uh, for Sarah, I'm sure the first time she saw me across the room, it just changed her life forever. You know, I've been known to have that effect on people. Wait, I'm confused. That was, that was actually me again when I saw her. Um, so for you, what has served as like the most impactful moments of your life? Because today we need to talk about like the greatest thing to ever happen. Let me adjust my camera. Yo, check that out. I like that angle a little better. I don't know why. I think. There? Yeah, let's go with there. All right. So today we need to talk about the greatest thing to ever happen. And I don't say that lightly because we're going to we're going to like hear language in scripture and our Bible passages today from 1 Corinthians 15 that is like unique to this event. Cuz nowhere else in scripture like the event that we're going to talk about the scripture like speak of itself in this way. Like it, we're going to hear scripture say like this event if it didn't happen nothing else matters. Like if this event didn't happen in history, nothing else matters. Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 to 34. And we're going to deal, we're going to begin with like the first seven verses there, first verses 12 to 19. And we are going to see that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his resurrection from the dead is the most important thing to ever happen. And Paul begins by saying, if it didn't happen, if Christ was not raised from the dead, everything that we have done, everything that we have as a church is totally worthless. So this is it. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 to 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Hold on. Let me adjust my microphone here. I lost my microphone adjustment tool. Where'd it go? I can see I'm a little hot on the mic. Where is that? Logitech G Hub. So this is some inside baseball stuff. Boom. There it is. I can tell now. You might not be able to hear it, in which case I just sound crazy or something. All right. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say, that there is no resurrection of the dead. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. But more than that, we are found to be false, 
we have found to be false witness about God, false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are a people most to be pitied. Let's talk about the context here, because some of the Corinthians were saying that perhaps there will not be a resurrection for the dead. Some of the people in Corinth believed like, hey, the dead aren't going to be raised back. They're not coming back. In Hebrew thought around this time, they believe that when you die, you go and you enter a period of waiting. This is what like Sheol is about. And then eventually God will bring the full resurrection of the dead when they will all be judged. In Greco-Roman thought, they believe that the soul lives on eternally while the body is lost here. And so sometimes we as a modern Americans, we kind of follow that Greco-Roman thought. We have a sense that like our souls live on, even for people who are not believer, there's almost this idea of our souls continuing on when we die. Um, and for like people who might be nominally Christian, there's sort of this idea, oh, we'll all go to heaven and we'll be with God forever in heaven with our ancestors and our dogs or something. That's not, what, that's not quite what scripture teaches about finality. And scripture teaches that we will all be raised in the last days. And we're going to cover that over the next few weeks because the resurrection is for us as well. Our eternal home is here. We will live forever with God here on earth. And Paul is correcting both of these ideas, both Hebrew ideas and Greco-Roman ideas. And primarily he is challenging the people who believe that there will not be a resurrection. And we're going to see over the next couple of weeks, he's going to teach about what is the resurrection. So Paul connects the idea that since Jesus was raised, we will also be raised to life again. Jesus has already been raised from the dead, not as a spirit that lives eternally, but in the flesh. Nowhere else in all the scripture is this language used right here. It is unique that here Paul says, if Christ is not raised, nothing else matters. It's not even that it, it's not even that it doesn't matter. Paul uses like even stronger language. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, Paul here is saying, our preaching, what I'm doing, and your faith, the faith that we share, is useless. Your faith is futile and you are still in your sins if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And those who have already died are just lost. Somebody might say, well, you know, if Christ wasn't really raised from the dead and he was just a good moral teacher, then, you know, your life was still good if you like followed him because he was a good moral teacher or something. Nope. Paul says, if only in this life we have hope, if there is no hope for a future resurrection, then we are the most pitiful people in the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if your life was stripped away, if everything about you was taken, if you had nothing else, if there was nothing else, if you didn't even have your morality, if you didn't have your family, if you didn't have anything at all, is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead enough? Can you base your life on this belief? We remember back to when Riley Sharper passed away in January. He was killed tragically in a car accident. It's rocked our church and our families. His wife, Kate, had a vision not long after. She shared this in one of her blog posts. Um, his wife, Kate, had a vision not long after. And in her vision, she was at the scene of the wreck. 
And she watched, she walked, she watched as Jesus walked up to the mangled car. And he reached in and he grabbed a hold of Riley's soul. And he pulled him out of the wreckage and he hugged him. And Jesus walked off with Riley. If Jesus is alive, is not alive today, that doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Is your life oriented in such a way that if Jesus wasn't alive today, your life would make no sense at all? Is your life oriented in such a way that if Jesus wasn't alive today, your life would make no sense at all? It's a foundational question. What is your life based on? Paul is saying that if if it's anything other than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's wasted. If Christ is not raised, none of this matters. If Christ has not been raised, your sins are not forgiven. I want to live my life in such a way that if somebody examines me, if somebody examines my life, they say, well, what if Christ wasn't actually raised from the dead? I want them to say that my life was a complete waste. As for Kate, her vision of Jesus walking with Riley's soul is meaningless. It's fictitious. It's made up if Christ has not been raised from the dead. But I think about Kate. And I think about Jesus and I think about Riley because Jesus showed her that vision of him pulling Riley out of there and walking away. And, and Riley saw that too. And Riley saw that and he saw Kate experience that. He saw his bride experience that. Let's read on. Verse 20 to 28. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all authority and dominion and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when he says that everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. So Paul here moves from the hypothetical, what if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, to the fact of his resurrection in the context of life and death and sin. There are two parts of this section. The first is comparing Adam and how death came through Adam with Christ and how life comes through Christ. The second part looks at the end when Christ delivers the kingdom to God the Father. We see that death came into the world first through Adam. You know, it bothers me when some like men talk about Eve as though like she was the one to have failed or something. But Paul here though says something different. He says, death came through a man and in Adam all die. Paul takes this point and turns it around. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all will be made alive, though each in turn. Christ is the first fruit. He is the first to be raised from the dead. The scripture describes how between the resurrection of Christ 2,000 years ago and the end times which are yet to come, we live in this gap. 
The full reality of the resurrection will come in the end when Christ returns. Even though Christ is alive now, we haven't experienced the fullness of the resurrection. There's a fullness that's coming when Jesus will destroy all dominion, all authority, all power. But what does that mean for us? All authority, all dominion, all power will someday be destroyed. The evil institutions that hold people captive, addiction, pornography, modern-day slavery, lists can go on, can all be destroyed by Jesus. But all does not just mean the bad things, but everything. All power, all authority, all dominion. The United States of America will one day be destroyed, as will all governments. Any power that any of us might have that we might try to use for good will, will also be destroyed. It doesn't just say all the bad dominion and authority, but all. Jesus will put everything under his feet. He will be in charge. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When everything else is stripped away, all that is left is God. And God does that so that he can be all in all. There's this dude named Athanasius. He was one of the greatest theologians of all time, and he gave us like the bones for the Nicene Creed. He gave us a theology of incarnation that's still used today. He was this like bishop of the churches in Egypt, and he wrote a parable to describe God becoming all in all. I want to share that with you. I've taken some liberty. I've updated the language from like Greek and the translations that I found like for this were like very weighty and they didn't really read well for like modern times. And so here's what he says. He says, imagine that a king moved from his palace and he started living in a house in our little town. Imagine that a king moved from his palace in this city far away and he started living in a house in our little town. Our little town would be held worthy of high honor. People would say, wow, the king lives there. That's where the king lives. And no enemy or bandit or foreign army would try to break into any houses here in town. Instead, the whole town would be honored because the, live, because the king lives in a single house. The whole town would be honored because the king lives in a single house. So too it has been with the king of all. For now that he has come to our realm, now that the king of all has come to our realm and taken up his dwelling in one, of, in one body among his peers, from now on the whole conspiracy of the enemy against mankind is checked. And the corruption of death that before was prevailing against them is done away. So what Athanasius is saying is that because Christ came, because he lived among us as a man, because he died and rose again, because he's the king of kings who makes his dwelling with us as a person, as a physical fleshly body, that he did that from now on, the whole conspiracy of the enemy, the whole conspiracy of Satan to bring about death is in check. He can't move. He's being defeated. His plans are foiled. God is taking all that is not of him and stripping it away. It doesn't matter anymore. And that might sound terrifying. It might sound terrifying to, to, to say that prayer, to say, God, take away from my heart everything that is not of you. That might sound terrifying, but really it's liberating. Imagine living in a city with a king 
where you don't have to worry about the enemy coming. You don't have to worry about robbers breaking in. You don't have to worry. Why? Because the king is there. That's the reality of the resurrected life. We don't have to worry about Satan. He's being defeated and destroyed. The king lives here. We don't have to worry. I'm certain that you have your issues and your worries, but you don't need to bear those any longer. You don't need to bear those unnecessarily. Christ has actually been raised from the dead. And that's the only the beginning of the great things he's doing. Paul goes on, verse 29 to 34. Now, if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses. Be sober as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. And I say this to your shame. Robert, didn't you just tell us that the enemy is being defeated? What gives with all this talk about suffering and fighting wild animals. Yeah, just because the enemy's being defeated doesn't mean we won't struggle. Paul's point is that his struggle only makes sense in light of the resurrection. If Paul only has human hopes, he hasn't gained anything. If the dead are not raised, what have I gained? Nothing. Let us eat and drink. Let us do away with all of this. Let us do away with all of it for tomorrow we die. Paul then encourages the people, listen, Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. Do this because some people have no knowledge of God. And he says this to the shame of the Corinthians. And I want to spend just a moment on this point. Paul is saying the fact that there are people out there who don't know God should be a point of shame for the Corinthians. And if I carry that forward, am I willing to say the fact that there are people today who don't know Christ is a shame on me and you? There's this group called the Joshua Project. You can find them at joshuaproject.org. They list some that there are 17,446 different people groups around the world. And of these, 7,391, or 42.4% of the population of the world, have not heard the gospel. 3.4 billion people have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. If we carry Paul's message forward, are we willing to say that because there are so many who have no knowledge of God, that is our shame? Here's the greatest thing that has ever happened. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and we either build our lives on this fundamental truth or we miss the point totally. Not only that, when we become Christians, we believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That truth becomes foundational to everything we have to offer. Not only is the foundation to everything we have to offer, it is the foundation for our world and future. Now, the fact that there are so many who don't have access to this foundational knowledge, are we even slightly ashamed? Here's what we've seen. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, all of this church stuff is totally worthless. And I hope to live my life in such a way that if anybody looks into my life, they must see that if Jesus wasn't resurrected, my life is meaningless and worthless. 
We saw that Jesus was resurrected. It happened. It is the defining moment, not just for the day 2,000 years ago, but for us as well, and will define our future forever. Now, there are many people who don't yet know about the greatest thing to ever happen, and it's our job to tell them. And because the King of Kings has moved in, we don't have to have any fear in doing so. The fear that we might carry around is done away with when we understand the the weight of the resurrection. On October 1st, Nick and Alicia are coming to join us. They're missionaries about to leave for the field where they will live and work with a people group who have no knowledge of God, to borrow Paul's words. They need the support to go and stay there. They're working with a group of people that has very few missionaries. We have missionaries with us today. Nathan and Brianna are continuing to fundraise. They need another $125 in pledges per month. They want to keep raising up and sending out the next generation of missionaries to those who have never heard the gospel. Brianna wants to pour out and love the missionaries that are already on the field, and she wants to do that well, and she's really good at it. Paul, though, wasn't only talking about missionaries overseas, even though these are our missionaries. Paul wasn't just talking about those missionaries. He was talking about the people next door as well, the Corinthians who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Craig Van Gelder asked two questions. And he says that if a church asks, if a church asks and answers these two questions, they will live on mission with God. He says, what is God doing right now? What is God doing right now? And what does God want to do? What is God doing right now and what does God want to do? You answer those two questions, you can live on mission with God. As a leader, as a pastor, as the sermon giver, I have the role of being an interpretive leader, an interpretive leader. That means that I get to help us interpret our experiences as a community and in light of scripture, in light of what God is doing to help us make sense of them that we get to ask the question as an interpretive leader, I get to ask those questions. What is God doing right now? What does God want to do? In effect, the role of the sermon giver is to help the community answer Van Gelder's questions. How do we see God working right now? What is God doing? Well, right now we see at Todd's place and our work with people in recovery that we are introducing people to God, a name they've never heard, but a person, a name they've heard, but a person they've never met. I have one guy who is reading the Bible for the first time in his life. How incredible is that? That's what God's doing right now. And we have Kids Club, a ministry where we teach kids who Jesus is through loving relationships with mentors and and good times here at the church on Tuesday nights. And what we need is we need volunteers for all these ministries, people willing to step into these things and go, hey, what is God doing? And how do I join him in that? And if somebody examined your life, If somebody examined your life, would they be able to say, this life only makes sense in light of the resurrection? If you want to explore that more, if you want to explore how God may be calling you, consider checking out one of these ministries with us. If you're not a member of the church yet, come and see me. We're going to have a membership class. Why don't you get me involved? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you've done and are continuing to do to just bring about your goodness. Lord, did you help our lives to to make sense only in light of what you have called us to do? And Lord, we know that you are the king who has moved in, and so we have nothing to fear because you are defeating 
all the enemies. And so, Lord, would we learn to live that way? Would we learn to live out of that reality that, man, my life only makes sense because of your resurrection, so I don't have to be afraid that I can go and I can do this because of you, that if I fought wild beasts at Ephesus with no more than human hopes, I haven't gained anything, but I haven't. You are really raised from the dead, and so what I do matters. Would you help me to understand that deep in my heart, Lord? And I just pray this in your name. Amen.